0: Hello everyone, here is Daniel and uh, I'm here with another episode of our e-comm show and today we will talk about Switch Grocery, the company of uh, Niha and Brian and before we start I just want to say thank you to Chris and uh, Miriam from uh, Keto Chow and I talked to them a few episodes ago, actually it's episode 79, check out that episode, it's a really interesting uh, company, they sell uh, Keto products mostly in the US and actually this is how I got referred to uh, Niha and Brian, and today we will talk about Switch Grocery, about their journey. This show is sponsored by Budai Media. Budai Media is a fully remote e-commerce-focused retention marketing agency. In the last three years, Budai Media worked with more than 100 e-commerce clients and generated an eight-figure extra revenue for these clients. If you want to check out their website, go to budaimedia.com and just send an email Or actually, you can just drop a message to me on any of my social media channels if you are interested to work with us. In short, Switch Grocery is a Canada-based company. It's founded by a couple just like uh, Keto Chow. And from the store, customers can buy different food products. Keto Chow is one of them. And let's start to talk about this. It will be a very interesting story, I think. How are you today, Niha and Brian? We're good. We're good. Thank you.
1: That was a great introduction, Daniel. You know our company.
0: It's great to have you here. I'm really happy. Before we, you know, get into the more technical things and how the business was built, Please tell us more about the company and how did this whole idea come up to you years ago to start this company?
1: Well, you know, I don't think anyone starts a company with the plan and we fell into that bucket, but probably like Chris and Miriam at Keto Chow, we discovered a low-carb lifestyle. Actually, Brian's trainer introduced us to it and my background's Indian and I was just shocked because we grew up on rice and roti, but you know what, I tried it and it, it did wonders for my health. And so, you know, at that time, four years ago, there wasn't an availability of keto products, paleo-friendly products, gluten-free products like there is now. And even now, the focus on quality has been lost uh so there's a need for uh, a store that curated products that you know we actually ate and that have founders like keto chow behind them who came up with them with purpose and know every ingredient that goes in them and are invested in their products so those are the types of food products we carry that is how we got started um, we're four years in we ship across canada we have great relationships with u.s and canadian suppliers great relationships with our customers and uh, we're a company that was built on social media
0: That's great. Let's talk about email marketing first. So what's the role of email marketing in your company? What were your first steps to implement it?
1: So today, uh, and it's so interesting, we're starting with this, Daniel, because I think every company makes its mistakes along the way. And some of the mistakes are just lost opportunities. They're not actual mistakes, they're Uh just you've lost an opportunity. And so we recently, within the last year, have heavily invested in email marketing. And we've seen a significant (laughs) increase in our revenue, plus just just relationship building with email. It's been so wonderful for us. And we at the first two years, really underestimated and underinvested in email marketing, we didn't have a pop up on our site, we weren't collecting emails, when we used to send emails, they were just more focused on sales and launches and not so much, you know, here's a recipe to help your day, or here's a story to help you or here's a blog post to help you. So um, now I'll tell you where we are. And I think this would really help other companies. Like if there was anything I would say, to stop and invest in today, it's email, it is by far the most you can either spend 100 bucks a day on ads, or you can nurture the customers you have. So three things, we use Klaviyo. We upgraded from MailChimp to Klaviyo. We have set up specific flows. So we'll have like a welcome flow if someone puts in their email. We have three campaigns a week, would be a product of the week, a keto chow flavor of the week, and then just something either for myself or our team member Brie, where we talk about a recipe or talk about something like the best reel, the best TikTok um, you know, from the week or something like that. And the flows really allow us to customize. So we don't send mass emails anymore. We really customize to our, for our customers. If there was one thing I would say, that is where we should have invested in earlier. And I'm so glad we're there now.
0: Amazing. Uh, what software do you use for email?
1: Klaviyo.
0: Okay, yeah. and you already mentioned a few newsletter yeah. types that you can send, like uh, you said, TikTok of the week and uh, Keto Chow product of the week or maybe the month. I think these are great. Is there any other campaign that you would mention and you found it really high converting?
2: There's been some ones we've done that are more contextual. So if there's a snowstorm, you can we've sent stuff of, hey, you're everyone's locked inside today. Here's a hot chocolate recipe or stuff like that. So yeah. with email, yeah, you plan out and know what you're going to send. But there's also, it allows you to quickly respond to snowstorms, area and Toronto, or different things like that. And to be yeah. very targeted and very contextual and relevant day-to-day. So we try to leave some opening, like we have our normal planned out ones, but we try to leave space to, to connect with our customers in their day-to-day, in their day-to-day experience. Because those getting into the business part of it, they have a higher open rate, they have a higher click rate. If it's selling, they typically have a higher conversion rate, but it's just and it's because they're they're relevant to the people that day or that week or whatever it is. So we try to leave some space for a little bit of creativity there to respond quickly.
1: Yeah. And I think Brian did some research um, and came back and said, the biggest thing is you need to get people to open an email and Danielle, like you just think about how much email you get, like how much email do you actually get that you read it's a lot. So making something interesting for people to open is one thing that's the first step, but also making sure the content in the email follows up. Uh, We'll talk about Brian, we'll talk about our funding, but one of the best performing emails for an example was what is a good business? We wrote, I wrote a blog post, which is what is a good business? And I broke down the belief of, I always believed that a good business, you know, doesn't charge high prices or like, you know, is liked by everyone or can... Or does not need funding? Like those are different types. That's not us, right? And then when we raised through ClearCo, that changed my view of what is a good business. I wrote a blog post about it. We didn't sell a single like product in the email, um, but I typed it up in a what is a good business and like eight, maybe seven sentences, but not like paragraphs, just like line after line after line with like, go read this article to answer that. Um, that had a 44% open rate, which is un- like, that's unheard of, right? And it had about 23 responses. Yeah
2: those ones get a ton of engagement. So you may not sell, but it's almost sometimes more valuable where when your customer responds to you and you have a conversation, that person is way more likely to come back Mm -hmm. and engage, recommend, whatever. Um, So sometimes those emails are like really valuable.
1: And you have to have the time, I'll end with this on email, which is oftentimes, sometimes like I've seen what Brian does, like he'll be responding to an email, and he'll actually take the time to respond, like, and like, make sure that all the questions because if you send an email out, that's outgoing, but you also need to be able to then respond to whatever you have to have the capacity and kindness and empathy to be able to respond to the question or response that comes through. I think we try to do that really well.
0: Yeah, I really agree. And uh, I think these emails are very important, like emails from the founders where, and I just don't mean that you write them, but also I mean that you put your own uh, mindset how you build your business, what's your way, you put that into the email and you share it with your either customers or subscribers. And even if they don't become customers, it's fine. Because, you know, as you said, many of them, they engage with it, they opened it, they uh, replied, maybe even they shared it, they referred you to somebody else, word of mouth. And so, yeah, these are really valuable things. And uh, I think many business owners, they uh, undervalue these and they miss out on this opportunity. Let's talk about uh, the lunch in the US. Um, what's the story? Please tell us
2: more. On the- so what was it? three years ago yeah we were doing well we were growing we were only a year year and a half in hadn't invested in email or ads yet but we're growing and we got it in our head that the way was go to the U.S. 10 times the size of Canada hey if we did this much in Canada well 10 times that U.S. Okay. You, and so, okay. sorry
0: did you plan one state or like let's conquer the whole country no
2: we, we <laughs> did the whole thing okay um and you would think two accountants would have planned this better, but we didn't. So we decided to launch in the US, we went and found a fulfillment center, we set up a site because obviously Canada and the US, different rules, can't share, can't, why would it be easy? So did all that, had it all set up and then ran into the regulatory issues. We didn't fully understand the difference in Canada and the US regulatory issues. It is really easy for us to import into Canada. We have a customs broker that deals with it, but even then it's really easy. Going the other way, even for products that were US made, came to Canada and send them back, is a whole other thing. It takes forever. It's tons of paperwork, tons of issues, FDA holdups. Yeah. So we ended up not being able to get even remotely close to the same products we had in the Canadian store, which is what people wanted, into our U.S. store. So our U.S. store had a quarter of the SKUs, didn't have all the stuff people wanted, had stuff, obviously easier to get U.S. products into a U.S. store. So had all stuff that was already available. Part of the selling point was we'll get you stuff you can't get. But well, we didn't, couldn't do that. So it was just we were never able to get our products there at scale that would then allow us to grow. Like we had stuff stuck in FDA for months that spoiled and went bad. And it was just the regulatory environment just killed any chance that we had. So ultimately, we had to shut it down about a year after because it became a huge distraction. It also became a huge distraction from the Canadian side because we at that time, we'd started growing quite quickly in Canada. It was distracting us from trying to focus on that because we had this orphan U.S., (laughs) subsidiary division that wasn't working, but it was kind of just bumping along and was just taking attention.
1: But people would email us and they'd be like, when do you come to the US? Yes,
2: but we get a ton of emails of when you come to the US. Yes. And we now have to say probably not again or a very long time because we tried and it just, it took too much time and effort for not a lot of return because the regulatory environment just made it impossible for us to get everything we wanted there. Because the reality is like in Canada, we do well. Because we have stuff from the U.S. that no one else has. Well, the U.S., the people who wanted us in the U.S. wanted the opposite of that. They wanted the Canadian products that they couldn't get in the U.S. Well, we couldn't get the Canadian products there because of the FTA issues and getting across the border. So we ended up shutting that down about 12 months, about a year after we started it.
0: Yeah. And uh, do you think overall the Canadian regulations are more, uh, I wouldn't say that loose, but, uh, you know, they are more open to other products. So the US is more protective about their products or, or trading in general?
2: There's very similar standards. It's just the documentation and all of that that is required to go into the US is a lot more onerous. So the the food standards, that's usually not the issue. If something meets the Canadian standards, it meets the US and vice versa. It's just the FDA requires so much paperwork and if it's not perfect, they may hold your stuff. Like we had a shipment stuck for two months that was a refrigerated product. They're not storing it in a refrigerator. So we lost the bulk of that shipment.
1: Yeah. And I think specifically it was if you launch in the U.S., Daniel, you need somebody with a U.S. address, like almost a U.S. representative to take. So like for food for food. So if you're in Europe or you're in Australia, imagine trying to find someone, a U.S. agent who will give their legal address, who will give provide their insurance who will provide everything like, you know, even in the Indian culture, like I asked another Indian company, they were like, Oh, I just have a family friend do it, but they don't really know what they're signing up for. Right. And we were eight. So you have to pay for it to find someone like that. We were very lucky. Like, um, what was the name of our fulfillment center? Because we should give that name. But our fulfillment center is amazing. Like, they did their part.
2: Big Sky Fulfillment. Yes, it's
1: Big Sky Fulfillment in Montana. They're amazing. But, like, to answer your specific question, I think the food rules are the same. It's the having to find a U.S. agent, having to get insurance, especially doing that as you're not a U.S. citizen or resident. That is difficult. In Canada, it's hard to answer that question because – It's kind of like if you're an Australian, importing into Australia is easy because you have a legal address, you know, Australia or whatever the case is. I hope that helps. But I think with food, it is very specific. Um, It was also during the time of the Trump administration. So we always had a joke like if we would start a food business that would be exporting, it's probably not the time because at that time, even Trump uh, was putting in rules around importing chocolate. So our chop, there was a tariff that was like 10, we had to pay 10, 15% tariff, even just importing chocolates to Canada. There was dairy tariffs. It was a very uncertain environment, Danielle. And like, I just don't think that yeah, yeah. environment coupled with the, not a lot of, yeah. <laughs> um, with the regulatory environment, that was just not a good decision. No. So hopefully if someone's listening to this podcast, we've stopped you to think about it more because as Brian said, the lost opportunity was the biggest, yeah. we would have been bigger in Canada.
2: That was just as COVID was starting when we shut it down. Yeah. Keto chow was a big part of that, that we had launched them at that time, but we grew four or five times, monthly revenue grew four or five times in that time and the U S was not. No. So it was also, well, do we want to focus on the business that's growing at this crazy rate, or do we want to try to save something that is going to take all of our time and attention? Yeah.
0: Yeah, thanks for sharing this. And uh, as everyone can uh, hear who's listening to us now, then, you know, in business, there are decisions which at the beginning, they seem to be good. And one year later, they are not as good. And that branch of the business behaves like a bad child almost. And, uh, you know, you just have to get rid of that. I mean, don't do that with kids, by the way.
2: (laughs) It was a bad analogy, but... (laughs) We got a great story. I wrote an article about it. I got a bunch of LinkedIn posts out of it. So you know what, okay, well.
1: And it didn't take us down, no. right? It, a mistake I think is okay in business as long as it doesn't take you down. Mm-hmm. So it didn't, we came out of it.
0: Yeah, that's the most important. Let's talk about the um, angel investing. So how, how did this happen and uh, how should anyone uh, imagine this? How does it work?
2: So we've done a few different things to fund the business over the, over the years. Uh, First one was just pure ClearCo's ad product, which they just they just provide funding for ads. You pay back a royalty on revenue. And that let us grow at the beginning because it gave us some funds to put into ads that maybe we didn't have. And that really helped us.
1: Is ClearCo in other countries? Okay, yeah. So the company is called ClearCo and it is and they have launched in other countries.
2: And then we went from there to Taking on like some debt and stuff like that. But then Clearco also came out with what they called their Clear Angel program, which is an angel investment for a longer term, smaller royalty on revenue. And we went back and forth on that, whether you go traditional angel, which is give out equity, or this product, which is just a four-year royalty on your revenue. And at that stage of our growth and at that stage of our business, we didn't really think it was the in our best interest to do a traditional angel round where you give up 5, 10, whatever it's going to be, percent of the company. So we went with Clear Coast, Clear Angel, and that's been great so far. That gave us funds to grow quickly, to invest in, not in the ad part, but in we built out a bit of our team. It allowed us to scale inventory because obviously you need cash. Growth is great but you need the money to also order the inventory to then get the growth. It gave us some funds to to scale and to grow and um, to get to a new kind of level for the business. And then there's also uh, Canada and I'm sure other countries have done a lot of supports for businesses over the last two years with COVID. So we took advantage of some different programs that the Canadian government put out, uh, like some government-backed debt and stuff like that. Uh,
1: lower interest rate with low
2: interest, forgivable pieces, stuff like that. So we made sure to take advantage of any of those kind of supports that we could as well to fund debt.
1: I think one thing that always surprises me about sort of the strength on our team is money is so important for and cash flow is so important. And I always notice one thing, which is its first mover advantage. Brian applies for debt or (laughs) loans the day they come out. So I'm talking like, not just like four months, five months down the line, the day. So business of uh, the uh, BDC, the business development bank of Canada came out with this product, which was a combined loan forgivable part that, and I was surprised cause we were gonna, we were working on something else and Brian was just like applying for it. So yeah, yeah it was the first mover advantage. I think on all these, funding opportunities, even grants is very important. Yeah. Cause they all
2: have a limited budget. So if you don't get in there, Right. Like the At the time, the government gave more funding to the Business Development Bank of Canada. So, all of a sudden, interest rates, a year ago, they would have been in mid-teens for a loan from them. All of a sudden, they were two and a half, three percent 3%, but only while they had cash.
0: Yeah. And how did you use these uh, funds, mostly inventory and ads growing? So
2: we used um, inventory growth to get to kind of support the new level of revenue. Um, we built out our team, hired for customer service earlier than our revenue might have supported. But yeah, what we did, so it allowed us to hire for customer service. It allowed us to do some changes on the website to make it easier to use, to do some changes there and hire developers. I think that's, those were the main things. Yeah. And then, yeah, obviously the inventory piece to scale up a bit. Yeah. Do you mind if I ask, how did you uh, hire developers? Actually,
0: I uh, had another podcast a few hours ago, and uh, the guest has a software company. And nowadays we, we are also hiring developers. And uh, I think this is a difficult question for many companies, like how to find good developers, or do you use any kind of uh, HR person, you do it yourself. Maybe you have a technical co-founder, like this other guest had, or what, what's your approach on that?
2: So, we do not have another a technical person on our team. Neha and I are both accountants. Um, so, the way that we've hired in the past is because we're on Shopify, we have to work and these different apps on our site. When I, there was one of the apps I wanted to make changes to, or want to make changes to, and I reached out to that company to get some ideas of who they've worked with in the past or who they've seen their clients work with in the past, because neither one of us have that network. I can get intros to finance people, my network is not software and web developers. They got me introductions to a few people. And since then there was one small agency that we've worked with and they've done everything for us. So it was over the years, we test, we tried different ones because Shopify, you have all your Shopify developers and it was just, which one did we like that stuck that met their deadlines? Cause we don't have anything crazy complicated, No, our website and customizations.
1: Yeah, and I think you have to pay a little more. Like, I remember when we got, like, pitches from three developers. So, like, we would pick three developers within Shopify and, like, ask them to bid on a job. I always found the person with, honestly, the highest bid was the higher quality person to go for, really. So now we've learned that lesson.
0: Yeah, I think development is not a thing where you want to save money. I mean, it must be reasonable, the price and the value. But, you know, if they screw up something and uh, you are not a developer, then it's hard. Yeah. It's just good to have somebody good. Niha, I think you will like the last topic that I want to have today. So talking to your customers and just being human. So what's your approach? I think you have a few uh, secret weapons. (laughs) How to do this.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of our suppliers do this quite well, but when we've tried to think about sort of what is the magic of switch, it really, and what we try to tell our team and our contractors, people work with us is really that we just try to treat people like people. And I think the way that we have done this from the very beginning is it changes as you grow, but our first 300 customers I wrote them thank you cards not even 300 might have kept going
2: it was first couple hundred that you wrote cards and then after that for probably the next thousand you wrote messages on their okay. on the invoices
1: yeah in their orders it would be so for example like when you're selling any product the first thing is to get the person to buy it and then the other thing is it comes to your house and again Daniel like how many things have you bought when you open the box You just put it away you don't necessarily use the product right away so we really wanted people like hey you invested like you've paid for it you should use it so uh, we would take an invoice and write down next to the product hey this is something to do with the peanut butter or make sure you store it this way or enjoy this baking this is i add a a bit of butter this is how i bake it or whatever the case is um Mm -hmm. especially someone like me where cooking doesn't come naturally to me so i felt that for food I needed to add that little extra, like I always look for recipes and instructions. So we added a little bit extra. Um, We did that for quite a long time. We, even when we went to a fulfillment center, every night we would actually within the invoice, type out those tips. And then it became harder during the pandemic to do that. So well,
2: especially as we grew it just became grew. it became too hard to maintain.
1: Yeah, it was something I fought a very long time for to keep and now we've changed it to we actually have a private Facebook group. Um I can't recommend this enough. It just has to be genuine. But um, the way people get into the Facebook group, um, and similar to, we saw one of our suppliers, Burlap and Barrel, did this really well. We have it in their like a welcome email. So let's say you place an order with us, you'll get a welcome email. Come join our Facebook group. So most of that Facebook group, Danielle, is with people who have bought from us, not just cold people, um, which I think is important. The group started with as like five people and now it's 3000 people. So it just kind of is, and you know, as it gets bigger, there's different challenges of making, keeping everyone engaged. Um, I'll go live in it. Sometimes we'll welcome new members, uh, but people will also like put their own tips in or ask a question there. So it takes it out of the email, right? Like they'll be like, Hey, when is this coming back in stock? Or Hey, I noticed this on the site or whatever the case is. But it's
2: become people even talking amongst themselves. Someone will post a question and other customers respond and yeah there's a lot of the time it doesn't even involve us or our team it just it's customers talking about what they bought or how to use it or things like that yeah
0: if they that's can good. talk to each other and share tips and you know different things with each other i think that's the best they nurture each other basically
2: and it's helped us like resolve if someone didn't like something people post there and then someone else will say well did you try this did you try it this way and so it it also helps us avoid bad reviews or stuff like that. Because people say, hey, I didn't like it like that either. Like with Keto Chow, there's a bunch of different ways to make it. People, I didn't like it this way. I loved it this way. Why don't you try that? And that's that's been really good.
1: Yeah. I think this piece is called community engagement. And I've realized this now that in the early years, that's what I was doing with people. I didn't realize what it was. I like doing that, Danielle. If someone else doesn't like doing that, like it was challenging for me after I had a baby just because of the time after we had our son, it was challenging because it's hard to talk one-on-one. Ultimately, the best growth and best feeling I think you get as a company is after having a good one-on-one conversation, just like you and I, you and us are having right now. It's hard to scale that, but I would say as a founder, if that's not your strength, then you have to hire someone in the role of community manager, not customer service, who understands all your customers, who gets their names, who gets their dog's name, who gets their like, I'm just interested in that. And I like getting to know our customers and I know like, they're
2: and really understand the product you sell yeah, so that you can have that engagement.
1: Right. Because a lot of people just always say like, how do you get engagement? Well, you also get engagement by putting out content, by creating a Facebook group, by sending these emails, like everything we talked about today, right. Being honest about how you're growing your business. And then once you get the engagement, you know, I have this thing where our purpose when someone emails us is to continue the conversation. It's not just to like drop a heart and say, Like someone might say, oh, Neha, your dog's so cute. Well, what kind of dog do you have? Like, do you like dogs? Does your dog sleep in bed with you? Like all these things. But again, I enjoy that. Someone else may not enjoy that. And then you should think about hiring that person.
0: Yeah, it highly depends on the person. And I think for many founders, it's fulfilling because, uh, you know, it's just a very human side of the business. And I think many people enjoy. However, many, they, they don't. I'm somewhere in between. It really depends on my mood, you know. Sometimes I'm just like, okay, I just want to be alone. I just want to work (laughs) on something. But other times I really like when I can talk to customers or or clients, partners. Yeah, it's very uh, fulfilling. And, you know, you just talk to each other like two people, really. So, yeah. Uh, Thanks for sharing your story today. And uh, thanks everyone who listened to us today or uh, you are listening to the podcast later. Every week we are coming out with a new episode. Every Thursday, you can uh, find it on the major podcasting platforms. And uh, stay tuned. And thanks again for sharing your story today. Thanks, thanks for having
1: us. Thanks for, thanks for having
0: us. Hope you enjoyed this episode of the Ecom Show podcast. If you want to learn more about e-commerce, retention marketing, check out our Facebook group called Top3% E-commerce Email Marketing. Or check out our website, thewoodaymedia.com. The show is brought to you by the team of Budai Media. See you in our next episode. And don't forget our goal. Grow your e-commerce business together.